we thank you that we can be around your word again. We thank you that we have your word in our language. We thank you that we can read it. We pray now as we come to it that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, use me as your mouthpiece. Help me to open up your word, explain your word, and may that be simple, and may that be righteous, and may that be on point, and may whatever I say be what you would have us to hear. Keep me from saying anything amiss. Keep me from saying anything that's not of you, of your word. And Lord God, may this come in in a simple way that we can all understand. There are deep truths here that we need to know about, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would make them come alive to us. Give us teachable spirits. Give us hearts that are ready to receive your word. Oh, Lord God, we plead with you that your Holy Spirit would help me as I preach and help us as we listen. And may we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers and may we be blessed by this. And may this help us in our walk with you. And may it be used in the building up of your church. And may it bring glory and honor to your great and holy name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. So again, just very, very quickly, I want to go through the the, the foundations that we've laid from the first few verses because we're seeing these spiritual gifts in in these foundational uh, points that come out of the first few verses of this chapter 12. And that is what I've already said, that spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. Paul didn't want the Corinthians, God didn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed, he doesn't want us to be uninformed. And and part of the reason for that is some of these spiritual gifts can be faked and abused, and that's a problem. They are a blessing, they should be a great blessing, that the spiritual gifts should declare Christ as Lord. Spiritual gifts are connected totally to our salvation. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. Our our default when we come into this world is to have ourselves as Lord, to to be our own masters of our own destiny. And we don't want God and we don't want Jesus and we want to do things our own way. We are selfish. You see that in a young baby. You see that in a young child. You see that in adults. You see that around us. You see it in your own heart. And this gift of salvation, we come to realize that we are not the most important God is the most important. God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God is perfect. And he made this perfect world. And we have messed up with sin. And sin separates us. And so salvation is when we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and turns us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And then this salvation that's been given to us is through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And our spiritual gifts are just the same. They're they're not just from the Holy Spirit. They are from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see that in verses 4 and 6. We also noted very much from verse 7 that spiritual gifts are not just for your own benefit. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the spiritual gifts is for the benefit of the church. It's for the building up of the church, the benefit of one another, as we see in verse 7. We're looking at these spiritual gifts listed in 8 and 10, and there are other lists within God's Word. This is not a complete, exhaustive list, but it's the list that we are 
working with. And in verse 11, we clearly, clearly see that the gifts are not chosen, the gifts are not learnt, the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. Now they are the, the principles that we are working with, these are the principles that God's Word has shown us, that's the foundation that we are building on. And what we're doing now is we're looking at those nine gifts that we see particularly in those verses 8 to 10. We've looked at uh, utterance of wisdom or words of wisdom. We've looked at utterances of knowledge, words of knowledge. We've thought about faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. And then last week we were spending time on, on the sixth one, which was prophecy. And last week we were seeing, particularly with regard to prophecy, there is a link between prophecy and prophets. Prophets are the ones who bring about prophecy. They are the ones who speak prophetically. And in the New Testament and in the time of Corinthians, the, the, the whole idea of prophecy and prophets would have been what they've learned from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament prophets speak on behalf of God and so we realize that the New Testament Corinthians pattern is a prophet needs to speak on behalf of God thus says the Lord or thus says the Spirit they're not saying their own ideas they're not dreaming up their own things God has spoken to them and they are then declaring what God has said Prophets will declare Christ as Lord. They won't declare themselves. It won't be about themselves. It will be about Christ as Lord. And that links in with the, the principles that we've seen from the beginning. It's very interesting in our time of discussion afterwards that on Zoom that a lot of people found this uh, third point, C, particularly helpful. And that's prophets will have moral integrity. They will live righteous and godly lives. And, and tragically, we see people nowadays who have declared themselves to be prophets or apostles, and they are not living moral, with moral integrity. And, and there is gross, open sin. And we can only conclude that people that are living like that are not. They cannot be true prophets of the Lord now we say that we must be careful about being judgmental but we also need to say that if someone is in a position of authority and they have failed morally and then they confess and they openly repent and they humbly just get on as, as, a, as, as a Christian and, and, and then we can say that they may well have been a true prophet that has fallen and God has restored. But the restoration does not automatically mean that that person can then just carry on as they were. And we see that the absolute trauma of what open moral sin causes in the life of the believer in, in David in the Old Testament. And then we also saw from God's word that prophets will get their predictions right. And, and if a, a prophet is saying, thus says the Lord, and what they're saying doesn't come about, then God's word tells us they were not speaking God's word. Now, despite 
whether prophecy is a spiritual gift that continues or not, anyone that claims to be a prophet and doesn't meet those standards, doesn't meet that criteria that they are speaking on behalf of God, that they are declaring Christ as Lord, that have moral integrity, that are getting their predictions right, if that's not the case, then we can assume and fear that they are not true prophets. And we mustn't listen to them. And and we shouldn't fear them. And it seems that this is a, a big challenge to the church at Corinth and the church in the New Testament. Because there's a challenge that needs to work out the spirits. To work out what's genuine. What was fake. And and the Corinthians were told of a spiritual gift that would help the church in this matter. And that brings us on to our seventh spiritual gift. The ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, Verse 10, it's in there. And it's to another, so it's not for everyone, it's to another. There is the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is a a gift that differentiates. The the, the person who has this gift is able to differentiate between the word of God that's proclaimed by a true prophet and that that's proclaimed from someone who is a deceiver. And this seems like very heavy stuff, yeah? And you may think, well, you're being judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just declaring and bringing out what God's Word is saying. You see, the the deceiver could be someone who is badly taught, and and they don't know any better. Or or it could be someone who who knows it and is manipulating, and he's like the person that Peter warns the church about in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, in chapter 2 and verse 3, it talks about these false prophets. And it says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. There are people out there trying to exploit, and they're using false words. They're saying, thus says the Lord, and then they are dreaming their own dreams, saying their own things, and tragically... It's because they are after their own benefit. Be that popularity, be that financial, be that what it may. It's not Christ and Christ crucified that's at the center of what they want. It's their own greed. And and there are people who are in the spirit, in Corinth, proclaiming the truth. And there are others who are not. And there are other spirits at work. And these spirits are to exploit. And so whether someone is deceiving because they're badly taught and they don't know better, or whether they are someone who's there manipulating and abusing their their position and their responsibility and pretending and, and faking something for their own gain, these are both very, very dangerous. And often the person who's badly taught turns and transforms into someone who cynically manipulates. Someone who starts off being badly taught will often become a bad teacher of others. And Paul gives the Corinthians a very explicit 
warning about this in his second letter. And I just encourage you to flick over the pages to 2 Corinthians and chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's the second letter that we have recorded in God's word to the Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. And in verse 11, so in chapter 11 and verses 13 through, it talks like this. It says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So these are false teachers, they are deceitful workmen, and they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They're taking a title and an authority which is not theirs. And they're deceitful, and they're false. And, and Paul goes on to give commentary, and he says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is really solemn, isn't it? Paul's not messing around with these false apostles and these deceitful workmen and just say, well, it's a bit dodgy. It's a bit wonky. No, this is really awful. This is really, really bad because these people who are doing this, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul talking on behalf of God, says that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so his servants, he, the, the, Paul is saying that these false, deceitful workmen are the devil's servants. Do you get that? that, that that's extremely heavy, extremely condemning. These false apostles are servants of Satan. These are those who are willfully disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, sometimes you might wonder why I get worked up and get upset by people calling themselves apostles now. Because it is serious. It is really, really serious. And like I said, some of these people just could be badly taught and are not knowing what they're doing. Or alternatively, they could be here following in the devil's footsteps as servants to the devil. And this is not an isolated warning in the New Testament. Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy and, and chapter 4. That's 1 Timothy and chapter 4. Paul speaking to his spiritual son in verse 1. And he says this, Now the Spirit expressly says, that's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This is frightening. Back in the New Testament times, a little less than 60 years after Christ has ascended to heaven, there were people who turned their back on their face and devoted themselves to deceitful spirits 
and teachings of demons. And they were active in the church then. And this was what was going on in Corinth. There were people who were true prophets and apostles of God. And there were others who were pretending. And they'll be saying the same things and they'll be looking in the same ways and maybe even doing some similar miraculous signs because we know that a sign and a miracle isn't necessarily a distinguishing feature of a true apostle or a true prophet or a true child of God. We know of instances in God's word where non-believers and godless people have prophesied and done the miraculous. And so this gift that's been given to the church here in Corinth is the gift to be able to distinguish between the spirits so that the church of Corinth can be protected, so that the New Testament church can be protected from these people that are coming up. The gift meant that for the Corinth, there were those that could see beyond the visual, those that could hear beyond the soundbite. There were those that knew what spirit was at work and they could warn the church. There could be a benefit to the church, the benefit to the church to protect the flock, to protect the lambs, to protect them from the wolves who are dressed in sheep's clothing. And it may be that we see this gift in action in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29. Because in 1 Corinthians 14 and 29, we're going to come on to this chapter later, and it's talking particularly about tongues and particularly about prophecy. In verse 29 of, of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it says this, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. There was checks and balances. And maybe what was happening with these checks and balances, there were those that had that gift to be able to discern the spirits and they would be listening carefully and the Holy Spirit would be guiding them so that they could say, yes, this is the Lord speaking to us. Or, no, we're not to listen to this. They could not just take what prophets said at face value. They they had to weigh it up. And and there was this spiritual gift that God gave the church at Corinth at that time. This supernatural gift was so that the church wouldn't be tricked. They hadn't got the whole of God's word then. That They were were a little vulnerable. And and so the Holy Spirit blesses them with this. John uh, tells the the readers of his letters, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There is a danger. And and the spirits need testing. And we're not to believe every spirit, but to test them, to see what's going out. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. And so there was this gift that was given to the church, an ability to distinguish between spirits. And number eight, we come to tongues. Uh, verse 10, as it carries on, uh, with the same pattern to another, uh, various kinds of tongues. 
and, and I'm, I'm wondering right now, as I mention tongues, what springs into your mind? What do you think? And, and for, for many of you, maybe what comes into mind is, is, a, is, is a great group of people speaking uh, earnestly and loudly and, 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 and babbling together in a language that no one's really understanding and all possibly sounding differently. Maybe there's some similarities here and there, but there's a lot of noise, there's a hubbub, and very often there's a, there's a worship team that's backtracking this, and, and there's a frenzy, and there's a lot of noise, and that, for what a lot of you, is what you may think of when it comes to speaking in tongues. I don't know, but it's certainly an image that, that I see. It may be different for you. What we need to do is we need to go into God's Word. And we need to see what God's Word tells us about tongues. We're not to measure tongues about our own experience. We're not to measure tongues about what happens around about us or what we think happens around about us. If we want to get this right, and we must get it right, and Paul tells us he doesn't want us to be uninformed, we need to go to God's Word. And then the first mention of this gift of tongues in the New Testament is a prophecy from Jesus. Jesus, in Mark 16, and verse 17, talks, and he says, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. So, so Jesus knew this was going to happen. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've already mentioned this way at the beginning. Jesus manifests all of the gifts of the, the spiritual gifts here apart from these last two. We, we don't hear Jesus speaking in tongues, and we don't hear of Jesus translating tongues. It doesn't mean that he didn't. It just means we have not got that recorded in God's word for us. But what we do have is Jesus prophesying that they will speak in new tongues. And this prophecy is fulfilled. Now, spoiler for the children, as Zion spoilt my Sunday school lesson uh, and told me what was going to happen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next week. We're going to go to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, and that's the reversal of Babel. It, it, the opposite happened. Babel language came about. There's lots of different languages in the world. And, and this prophecy of, of these people uh, receiving their new tongues starts being fulfilled here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. In verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They didn't open the language course. They didn't have the online tutorial. They weren't there repeating words, trying to get their mouth around it. The Holy Spirit came and they spoke. And on this occasion it was very, very real languages because verse 6 says that the sound the multitude everyone around came and they were bewildered and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language it was weird it was strange the people, the multitude came, there was a sound, this rushing wind, the Holy Spirit anointed them, the Holy Spirit came, and they were able to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. The multitude came, and they heard and they witnessed what the Holy Spirit was doing through the disciples. 
And it was this. The, the list goes on to list at least 16 different regions. And that means there's at least 16 different languages going on. But what's intriguing here, and what's important for us to note, is this message was the same in all different language groups. They were telling of the mighty works of God. There was an understanding. Yes, tongues were being spoken, but there was an understanding the people could understand, and they were telling of the mighty works of God. And the other thing to note of interest with this particular occasion is all these people were Jews. They were Jewish people coming in to the city to celebrate the feasts. Despite the different areas they were from, they, they were Jewish folk. That's where their hearts were. And, and, and these tongues in Acts 2 were given by the Holy Spirit. They were not initiated by the disciples. The disciples, yes, absolutely, they were in the upper room praying. They were in the upper room frightened. They were scared. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's what they were doing. But they didn't initiate this. They didn't teach it. It was given to them by the Holy Spirit. And they didn't choose which languages they would have or how it would work. It happened upon them. And then we go on to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10 we have the next uh, incidence of, of tongues. Peter this time was going to the Gentiles. The ministry was changing. Before it was just for God's Old Testament chosen people. Just as Abraham was told he'd be a blessing to all nations, God's plan, Jesus' redemption, was not just for the Jewish people. It was for all nations. And this change and this shift had to happen. And Cornelius was there, and he, he knew that he needed to get Peter. And Peter didn't want to, was, was, was there elsewhere, and he had the vision, and he knew that he needed to go, and he went. And the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to these Gentiles, to these non-Jews, and when it was given to them, they spoke in tongues. And this must have been in languages that were understood, because verse 46 says, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. How did they know that they were extolling God? How did they know that they were telling of the mighty works of God? Because they could understand it. And the last mention of tongues in Acts is in chapter 19. And there was a bunch of guys and they were following John's baptism. And Paul explained the truth to them. John's baptism wasn't the complete picture. They needed to hear about Christ and Christ crucified and Christ's resurrection. And in verse 6, before that, Paul explains the truth. And then when Paul had laid his hands on him, the Holy, on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. It tells us there was about uh, 12 of them at that time. And, and so from this, from these examples of tongues, we are realizing that tongues are an actual language. Because the only way the gift of interpretation works that we're going to come on to is if it is an actual language. And these three incidences of it in Acts, the only recorded instances we have, we see here that they could understand. 
There's a language going on. But as we build this together, there's, there's a series of negative knots that I want to say. They're not negative negatives, it's just the word not is there. Tongues, like all the gifts, are not for every believer. No, no, this is, this is where something goes awry nowadays. In Corinthians, and in this passage, we read clearly in verse 11, 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. They don't get everything. It's not everyone gets the gift of tongues. It's not everyone gets the gift of prophecy because a little later in this same chapter 12, in verse 30, Paul says, do all possess the gift of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so we can see clearly, and this is important, like all the gifts, tongues are not for every believer. And if you uh, are told that you should have tongues because it's a sign of salvation, that is rubbish. Tongues are not a sign of salvation. Tongues are a gift of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives them to who he sees fit and not to everyone. And tongues are not a sign of spiritual maturity. And I'm sure that some of you will have heard this. You'll be told that you need to get to the next level. And getting to the next level means you need to speak in tongues. And how do you speak in tongues? Well, you, and and, and there's, there's lessons and there's teaching and there's music going on. And, and tongues are a gift, so they are not learned. Tongues are not a sign of spiritual maturity. How can a gift be a sign of spiritual maturity? A gift is given. It's, it's not a virtue. It's not because this person has done something really special. No, it's a gift. It's a gift. And so it's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's not a sign of salvation. And I want to clear up something else. Tongues are not the same as praying in the Spirit. And again, you may have heard this. You may have heard this. And, and people go to Ephesians 6 and talk about spiritual warfare. And within the armor of God, we are told to pray in the Spirit in all times. And you'll hear people telling us that that is praying in tongues. It is not. Praying in the Spirit is for everybody. It's for every believer. And if praying in the Spirit is for every believer, and we've already emphatically seen that tongues are a gift that are given and are not for everybody, then therefore we can conclude that praying in the Spirit is not the same as tongues. Now, some people may pray in the Spirit, and that may manifest itself in tongues, yeah? That can happen. But what I am saying here emphatically is that the only way of praying in the Spirit is not in tongues. Full stop. Because if it is, the rest of the Scripture is wrong, and God does not lie. This was a toughie for the Corinthians, as we're going to see as we go through Tongues are not the most important gift. It seems as we go through, we're going to go to more detail, it seems as though the, the, the tongues was really, really, really important to the Corinthians. And Paul just in the list himself, in the order of the list, tongues are always last on the occasions they're mentioned. 
And you may say, well, that, that could just be a fluke. It could just be that's where it happens. Okay. Where's Judas on the list of the apostles? He's always at the end. Now, is that a fluke? Is that because J is alphabetically? No. Is that because he kept? No. It's because there's a purpose. God's word, there's a purpose. And I believe that we can say with this, as he's speaking to the Corinthians back then, who were putting so much emphasis and so much thought on the wonder of tongues, Paul said, no, they're not the most important. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2, he really bursts their bubble because he says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Full stop. Actually, it's not a full stop. It's a comma. And the comma says, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. We come back to this founding principle. The church may be built up. So quickly just recapping these knots. Tongues are not a sign of salvation. Tongues are not a sign of spiritual maturity. Tongues and gifts are gifts, so they are not learned. You cannot learn them. Tongues are not so that we can confuse the devil when we pray. Yeah? Who's heard that? Yeah, some of you have heard it. I'm sure you've heard it. Well, if you can find it in the Bible, I will take that slide down and repent. And I mean that. If, if, if something I'm saying, you, you find that this not in God's word, or I'm making it up, that's what needs to happen, yeah? I need to repent of it. But I have not found anywhere in the Bible that tells me that you need to pray in tongues because it confuses the devil. That's, that's a bad joke. It is someone who wants to make themselves more of them than they are, and they come up with this idea. And yes, you could say there's some sort of logic in there. Does that mean the devil doesn't know Turkish? Does that mean the devil doesn't know Urdu? I've got a good inkling that he's got a good command of languages. I don't know. And that's the thing, I don't know. And so if there's something I don't know, I can't make a doctrine of it. But what I do know is what we are saying from God's word. And we go on and, and we can see here from God's word, particularly in this uh, uh, chapter 14, that although tongues are not the, the most important, they are part of the gifts. Uh, and, and Paul there in that 14 compares prophecy and, and, and tongues together and, and, and underlines the importance of being interpreted so that church may be built up. And, and so again from this chapter 14, and we're going to go there, and we're going to do chapter 14 properly, because there's lots of truth there that we need to go, but just for this overview of, of the gift of tongues for, for the Corinthians at this time, we, we read in verse 13 that the tongues can be used in public. they used for speaking. It says, Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, we'll come on to interpreting in a moment. But here we see that in the context of the church setting, there are people who are speaking publicly in a tongue. And then verse 14 of chapter 14 talks about pray. Tongues can be used in prayer. But also there's a statement there. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And if we speak in public, it needs to be 
interpreted. You see, tongues can be used in private. And this is something that a few people ask me and say, well, is, is it okay for speaking tongues in, in private? And we, we see here that this is in verses 2 through to, to 4 that it's, it's something that is permitted and it's something that's practiced by the Apostle Paul. But it's only for the building up of oneself. If, if, we, if we run through that, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who, who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, now personally, I do not know how praying in tongues builds up. And that's probably because I do not have the gift of tongues. And, and maybe some of you here do have that, and maybe it does build you up, and, and, and God's word says that it does, and I'm not going to argue against that. And, and, and tongues can be used in private, and they were used in private here in the Corinthians time, and, and Paul did. But they are very, very limited. Because as Paul says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Well, we'll come into this in much more depth when we go through this chapter uh, 14. But when tongues are in a church setting, they must be translated. 1 Corinthians 14.27 says this, If any speak in a tongue, let there be one or two, most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. The picture that we're seeing here is very different to that picture that I painted at the beginning, wasn't it? And, and we go on to see that, that this means, from this verse 27, that tongues in a church setting, tongues in this Corinthian church setting, must be controlled. Paul teaches that they have to have an order. They have to take turns. And this confirms that this gift, where it is used appropriately and righteously within the church, is not the sort where an individual loses self-control. That there is absolute self-control and control going on here because there are a couple here, and one or two of them, not more than three, and they're to speak in turns. And so it's not a babble going on. Paul was not condoning or encouraging any kind of circus, any kind of shouting match. And tragically, so much of what we see going on nowadays within the church at large, this called tongues, is not what was meant to be practiced in Corinthians. And this is the only real passage of God's word that we've got to guide us on this. You can't go somewhere else and find something else. Uh, and, and so... Regardless of one's view with regard to the continuation of gifts, so much what is called tongues now is not as what was intended for the New Testament church. It's not following this example. It's a travesty. And, and, and some of the very things that, that Paul was warning against about Strangers coming in and, and seeing all visitors coming in, as it were, people, non believers coming in to see what's going on, and there's this whole church 
making a noise and no one can understand what's going on and they scratch their head and they think these guys have gone nuts. And then it gets taken to new levels of people mooing like cows or barring like donkeys or laughing like hyenas. And where is that in God's word? It is not in God's word. And this is what we've got. And so if you are gifted with tongues, if that is your gift, then these are your parameters to work with. And if you're a church that promotes the gift of tongues, this is how it's to be done. Because all that other stuff has been brought in from somewhere else, and where else does it come from? I don't know. I don't want to say. But God's word does say. And it's not a good place. And so friends, as we think of tongues in the context of the gifts, the spiritual gifts, we need to think of them in this right way. Not as they've become, but as they were intended for that church in Corinth, for that New Testament setting. And obviously, to Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaking to him so he could so this could be recorded for us as God's word. The last gift outlined here is essential for tongues. Interpretation of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. In verse 10, the last part of it. And, and that is the ability to translate an unlearned language expressed in the assembly. I'm, I'm going to use a very, very practical example here. We've got, we've got an interpretation going on here at the front. I'm speaking English. And Agnes's brain is working overtime. And she's sharing what's been said in French. Now that's a gift, but it's not a spiritual gift. I'm not sure how Agnes learned her French. I'm believing it's not her mother-mother tongue, but it's one that she's picked up as she's gone along. She has a gift and ability for learning languages. But that's not what's been talked about here. What's been talked about here is like the reverse of what happened at Babel. It's this ability to translate. Now, there have been occasions when people have been praying in tongues and someone has heard that in their language, just like in Acts, and I can understand that totally. But this is someone who's speaking. Now, we need to remember here that part of the reason why the Corinthians got so excited about tongues is because of what we read in chapter 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And so many people have taken that and the Corinthians must have been excited by it and, and thinking there is a divine language. And, and there's this divine language going on. Well, if it's a divine language, or it's not a lang divine language, it is a language. And that's important. There is a language here. And this person who has the interpretation of the tongues, they are able to interpret what that person has said. 
and they're able to share it with those around them. And, and these Corinthians that were very excited about this tongue of angels and, and this divine language, Paul, in chapter 14, tells them to get it proper. Look, for the benefit of the church, if these are uttered in public, they need to be translated. And they need to be translated, interpreted, opened up by someone who has this gift. And in chapter 14, when we get to this properly, we will open this up even more. And, and so he says in chapter 14, and it's worth just noting in chapter 27, if any speak in a tongue, let him be one or two or three at most, each in turn, and let someone interpret. The person who is to interpret was the person who had this gift. And then effectively what was happening, as, as we saw earlier, is that tongue then turns into prophecy. That is God speaking to his people through that tongue and through the interpretation. And, and that is the last of the gifts in this section. And, and, and tongues and speaking and, and translation tongues sit there together complementing each other. And, and there's a lot of crossover with this list and, and the others. But next week I want to just quickly mention some of the others and then highlight the ones at the end of this chapter and bring that to a conclusion so we can go on and ask the big questions of well, what does that mean to us and for we're one body with many members that's what it means to us and what does it mean to us there's a way of love and what does this mean to us how do we apply prophecy in tongues into our situation now that's what it means to us and we'll build on that later but what I want us to be thinking of now is probably a lot of what we've heard is very different to maybe our experience. Maybe very different to what we've been taught before. And the challenge that we have now is to go back to God's word and say, is this what God's word is really saying? Because we have God's word in our hands. It's complete. We have everything that we need. And if there's prophecies, and if there's tongues, and if there's miracle working, and if there's words of utterance, and words of knowledge, and words of wisdom, and faith, if they're outside of God's word, we have to discount them and walk away from them. Because, friends, this is God's word. It's a gift to each and every one of us. And we can hold it and read it, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, know it, and be changed by it. Let's pray.